Hello, everybody, and welcome to one more episode of React to Roundup. Today, our panelists are Thomas Aylott. Hello. <laughs> Dave Sedia. Hey, everybody. And our guest is Daishi. Hello, Daishi. Hello there. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I, I just I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. First of all, I would like to, to ask, like, why are you a developer? How did you start? What are you doing today? A little bit of your background. Sure. I studied computer science. I worked for a big company for many years. It was about three years ago when I started freelance work. And it was because I wanted to put myself more in programming. In terms of open source community, when I was a student, I first knew the open source culture and it was a nice experience. And later, I was involved in a community for Scheme. Scheme is a programming language like Lisp. Mm -hmm. And I developed some small libraries in Scheme just a short period. And after that, about seven years ago, I started working on open source software in Node.js. Okay. And the first library I've developed was something for tail call optimization. This tail call optimization is standard in Scheme, but it was not available in JavaScript back then. Later, ES 2015 specifies the tail call optimization. What yes. kind of optimization? It's tail call optimization. Oh, okay. It's like you, you have recursive calls. If it's tail call, it's going to be just a loop, not functional, oh. stuck. Yeah. Okay. So does it avoid the, the like infinite stack problem? Yeah, so? yeah, exactly. You can yeah. write infinite recursive call. Nice. Yeah, because I've had that problem with Java before doing like Android apps where you'll get call stack exceeded and it'll just crash the entire app. Yeah, whenever you have a recursion, things can get really bad. And with like functional programming languages, sometimes you have, you base a lot of your code on recursion. So you, you really depend right. on, on things being take call optimized or else like just like explode, right? Yes. Speaking of this tail call optimization, ECMAScript specifies it. But yes. as far as I know, only Safari implements that. And oh, interesting. Chrome doesn't, doesn't implement it. So that's wow. a problem. <laughs> that's one point for Safari, finally. Yeah. It's interesting that, that um, React Native has always used uh, the JavaScript core, even on Android. Oh, I guess until recently. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the reason. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So um, how did you get from tail call optimization 
into like the redux kind of global state stuff that you're doing nowadays? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And since then, I worked on Express, AngularJS, mm-hmm. Meteor, and React. Oh my, yeah. that's a lot of stuff. Nice. That's like a tour of all the frameworks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I the last decade just yeah. passed in front of my my eyes now. <laughs> yeah. What, no jQuery? <laughs> Yes, I started using React when React introduced function components. Mm-hmm. Nice. And as mm-hmm. I like functions, writing components as functions makes me feel so comfortable. Yes. And yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, that's why React Hooks is so comfortable to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the idea of custom hooks reminds me of lots of small NPM packages long time ago when, when it, was, it was early days. I remember some NPM packages are just like few lines implementations. <laughs> yeah. So after I learned about React hooks last October, I felt like it would happen again. So custom hooks as NPM packages would be so useful because React Core only provides primitives of building blocks. Right. Which yeah. I think it's very good. And mm-hmm. that made me develop some custom hooks, mostly small ones. Small ones, and I wrote some blog post about what I developed. Mm-hmm. And some people got interested, and I am here now. Yeah, those are those are really good blog posts. And, and, and the main theme of, of these uh, all these libraries that that you implemented and, and that you've been writing about is global state. So I know, yeah, I know it's a, a favorite of React folks since a long time ago, and that's why probably like Redux is so so large. Can so we give why, why like, did you, yeah. a quick overview of what we mean by that? Like, perfect, yeah. A bunch of React people might use global state without realizing that it is global state. Like, what's the difference between like a regular like use state or, or set state and or like. Uh, global state is that the same as Redux? Is Redux a global state thing? Is like unpack that concept a little bit. When I say global state, that's somewhat misleading. There's two notions here. One is single state, single single source of truth. Okay. The other is just a shared state, which will be used for multiple components. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I sometimes intentionally miss confuse those, but in the context of Redux, people expect single source of truth. So it means just one global state in an app. But it's technically it's just shared state between among components. So that's what my perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. So how, how do you think about the difference between those two? Because it seems like there's there's a decent amount of overlap, right? You can you can sort of have like a series for example, people do not use Redux stores, multiple Redux stores in one app. But if you say just shared state, people would use multiple states in one mm. app. Mm, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because I've I've seen uh, there. I mean, there's a million different patterns out there, and I've only seen so many. Like what I've seen personally of of Redux used in in reality. I mean, in my experience, is like there's one kind of global Redux store and then like some components connect to it and some components don't, but there's only really like one store. And then I've seen it done a different way where there's like 
there are multiple context types and they, they pass the context around. So that's kind of like having multiple kind of global state stores, except they're not global, they're more shared state. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, not yeah. all shared state is global. And and not all global state not is all, <laughs> uh, Not all single source of truth are also global. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah we yeah. call it global state, but it's actually more about single source of truth and, and being shared. That's interesting. And also, I think it, it has a lot to do with the fact that you consume as a subscription too, right? Because mm-hmm. the way it needs to fit into the React, like it needs to fit into the React life cycle. It's not, it's not like a global variable, like a global const in your JavaScript code that you read. Like it needs to re-render your application if something changes. So it needs to be like right. subscription-based. So now, That's so an important are, concept. Yeah. Like what I was reading up on um, Daishi's work, like with the, the proxies, like the, the really interesting part, I mean, the thing that jumped out at me was the kind of the elegance of when to trigger a re-render and when not That's to it. trigger a re-render. My first question that I share is like, why is it a problem? And why is it a problem with the current context implementation? Like, can't we just put stuff in context and, and be happy, change it and be happy? <laughs> <laughs> why life is so mean to us? <laughs> <laughs> like um, what's the problem of just putting something on the context and changing sure so there is no problem if you put small values in context in multiple contexts and passing around in mm-hmm. the tree but like single source of truth if you put the big object as a state and if you put that in one context and use context, I'll subscribe it and use context. I don't know, I mean, use, let's say, use use context hook. It means that the, the hook re-renders, hook trigger component re-render every change of the state. So even yeah, while it's big object, only a part of the object can be changed. But all the all the hook that subscribe to this state will be re-rendered. The, the component will be re-rendered. This that, can cause like yeah, the whole application to re-render if you change, even if the different components are not using that part of the state, right? That's the issue, yes. Yeah, that seems like the kind of problem that sneaks up on you over time because if the, if the, if the app is pretty small, you only have a few components, like it doesn't matter, you re-render the whole thing and it's fine, it's fast, but once you get up to thousands of <laughs> thousands of components or something and it becomes an issue right exactly when i was on the like android performance team like really diving into like back in 2012 why is android so slow it was it was kind of the same thing there's the death by a thousand cuts because of these like layout storms like one thing would change that would trigger a relay out over here and over there and would relay out everything anytime anything would change it was just a nightmare to solve this but kind of React has given us the, the ability to solve this problem, but a lot of people are accidentally causing the same exact problems to themselves without realizing it because they don't understand. They're, they're kind of missing the information that there is this problem that we need to worry about in the first place. Yeah, but to be fair also to people who are falling to, to this problem, like it's, 
It's a tough one. And it was like not very clear. It's, it's even today, like I think that this is probably one of the advanced topics that people have most difficulty with, which is like, when do things render? And it's really hard. Like people don't think about that if your child will be re-rendered, if your parent component re-renders, no matter what, all the childs will, will trigger a re-render. No matter yeah. what, like even if you don't change the state, everything will be re-rendered. Like, uh, so this is counterintuitive, actually. Yeah, I think that this, I remember thinking like when I first learned about React that thinking that, oh, it, it optimizes stuff, right? Like it only re-renders what changed. But that term render is like when it calls your component. And then there's the, the part where it actually commits to the DOM, which is the part that it optimizes. So <laughs> in order to know what to, what to change, it's got to call your component. So it, it does yeah. that all the time. and so yeah, by default, it, it will re-render everything every time. Yeah. And we always say like rendering is, is cheap. Committing to the DOM is the expensive. Like, I don't know, man. Rendering can be really expensive on large, on large applications. And like yeah. a large application that is maintained by I don't know how many people, it's like you have a really deep trees that can get really, really expensive to, to render. Like mobile can make the problem so much mobile can mobile can can suffer so okay so we are convinced you're trying to solve a noble problem daishi <laughs> so <laughs> and can you tell us about like what is your approach to solving it and how does it like apply to to your libraries okay when a state is a non-trivial object it's not likely that you would use all properties of the object in your component. So let's think about a simple case. Suppose we have two counts in a state. Let's call count A and count B. If it's naively implemented, you would expect component B re-renders even if component uh, count A is changed. This is also true with the context API and the use context hook. So ideally, Component A re-renders only if count A is changed, and component B re-renders only if count B is changed. So what if I told you this is possible without changing your component code? If we could know which part of the state is used in a component, it would be possible. This is state usage tracking. And it is possible. It is done by proxy API. The idea to use proxy API for tracking is not new. Like Emer and Mobex use proxy to detect changes. The difference is its purpose. For example, Emer uses proxy to detect mutation or say write operation, whereas state usage tracking is for read operation. Mm. My proposition is to combine the reactive system in React with proxy-based tracking. Thanks to React hooks, it's extremely easy to use. I have the hook called useStructState, and this hook returns a state, but it's wrapped by proxy. When you use the state in your component, the hook tracks the usage and remember it. This allows the component to re-render only if the used part of the state is changed. So what's important here is that the useStructState doesn't change any semantics. You can code your component as if there is no tracking support. And interestingly, what if there is actually no tracking? 
it just works, only it may slow down. So the point is that this use truck state only optimizes re-renders. The remaining question is how optimization works practically, because it comes at a cost. And that is why benchmarking is important. So in summary, the hook is simple and straightforward to use. And the question is if it's practically usable with comparable performance. That's brilliant. Like, <laughs> you've kept the exact same API as use state. So somebody can just drop this in without changing another line of their code just to check to see if that changes their performance. So I guess, yeah, that, that's why benchmarking would be absolutely critical to benchmark the real performance of your app so you can you can tell if dropping in something like this would affect the the performance or not and i guess it would it would help better for for certain use cases than others like if you're not doing any re-renders then it's not going to help or if you're using just really flat state like if you're using a, a string as as your state then it's not going to help cuz it's for like nested objects mm-hmm. this is really interesting like you mean I get like the, I use the use tract state and I have an object and let's say I use like first name and last name in my component. So only if the first name or the last name changes that it, it's going to re-render my, my application. Exactly. Nice. It says borderline magic. Yeah. So how does that, how does that? <laughs> yeah. So I guess the, the big question here is like, what are proxies? I remember, you know, hearing about like proxies in JavaScript like seven years ago are like, are they a thing? Can we use them now? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, you can use it. I mean, like I said, Imara and Mobex, which are all really common, use them, use it. Yeah, the Emer implementation I, I've, I've seen, it's like the idea is that anytime you change an object, you get a new a new object, right? It's like for immutable stuff. So what you do is that like you wrap in a function call uh, the object and you mutate like normally with normal code. You actually mutate, get like object.name and changes it. So the proxy captures those diffs and apply to a copy of your object and returns a copy of, of, of your object. So you, ha- you get like immutable changes, but with the imperative immutable API that we are used to. So, but yeah, as you said, like you are using proxy on the right side, right gives you like the, the, the deltas, but on the read side, it's interesting. So, so how, how do you know that? It's like when I use first and last name, do you capture those reads and, Yes, the proxy allows you to, they say, trap, trap the operation. So you know which part, like, like in your case, first name is used. Mm-hmm. And proxy actually allows you to return something else. But in my case, it returns the original property, first name, Lucas, mm-hmm. but only recalls what's used. The first name is used. Mm. So it tracks these changes, and then how does it trigger the re-render when, because it's, it's a hook inside the component, are you using context or something to trigger the re-render? Or? Yes. So I think you have two questions. How do I check it? Sim- simply, if I have two states, old one, previous one, and next one, and since I already know which property is used, first name you use, 
So just check that property. It's oh, changed. yeah, that's nice. So you don't have to worry about whole, the whole like immutability being held through the tree or something. You just check those, those specific properties. It's mm-hmm. nice. Oh, and since it's a proxy, you don't even have to, to duplicate the objects all the time because you can stop people from um, mutating it with the, the same proxy trick. Say it again, please. If somebody you know, got the state and then tried to change a value on the state without using set state, you can ah, you can that. you can drop that too. Yes. Yeah. Mm. You can yeah. Pre- prevent mutating object. You could. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm looking at the code here. Like you, it's interesting. You get a weak map of the that you hold. Uh, yeah. I have some homework to do. Yeah. Just this week. <laughs> this this sounds like really like cool. proper engineering. Like a lot of what I do is just like I'm, I'm a glorified <laughs> designer. Like this feels like, uh, you know, I've got to bust out the tape and put it on my glasses before I can really understand this. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's like an elegant solution to 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 a real problem. This is one yeah. of those. It's actually it's it's not even hard to understand. It's just like mm-hmm. it it's hard to like. I'm glad that somebody else wrote it because <laughs> I, I trust other people to engineer this the best, better than me. Yeah, the the best solutions. I don't know who. This quote is one of those quotes that like it's a tribute to like probably every historical or non-historical figures but people say that the best solutions are the most obvious one after that they they sound like really obvious and yeah of course you get yeah get Get whatever whatever the component is using and only re-render if those things change it's like obvious yeah obvious elegant fine let's do it and it's interesting that you found this this proxy use which which was a feature that I was thinking to myself that it would cause more confusion than actual good uh, solutions, but now you proved me wrong. Imer actually already did prove me wrong before, so you two are proving me wrong. This is a this is a really interesting tool. That's a good takeaway. Proxies are awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Proxies are super cool. It seems like a really nice, like a uh, elegant, clean solution. The kind where you don't really have to understand how it works. You just need to know, like. You know, trust the API and be like, okay, I just get the state. And it's taking advantage of the the powers of the platform using solidly implemented features of the language itself. This isn't some kind of crazy magic thing. This is just an elegant solution based on the the core features of the language. Just the language has improved since I was nerding around at this level. That's very interesting. One one thing I thought of is, is there any issue with, if you have like a conditional read, so maybe maybe you only read a certain piece of state if some other state is true or something. So would you, when when you didn't read the state, you probably wouldn't detect that that but was... But the point is, this tracking happens every render. Mm. So the, let's say if the first time you use the property A and B, for the second render, you might use A and C. But it, it means... It changed, so the A could be the in the if condition, and B and C could be uh, the, uh, then and else con- state, state, yeah, uh, yeah. statement. Okay, so it does but not it, have the same limitations as like hooks. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, because if is in a boolean, for instance, right, Dave? So if the boolean changes, it will re re render. 
Right. And if you right. and if you need a new piece of information, it will read the current state of that piece of information. Yeah. If you yeah. like, if it's like if show phone, like render the phone, or else render the email, something like that. So imagine that show phone is true. So you're only tracking phone, the show phone boolean, and the actual phone. If the email changes, I'm not tracking it. I don't re-render. Exactly. Yeah, nice. That's interesting. But if show phone, if the phone changes, you, 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 you re-render the phone. And if show phone changes to false, now you're going to start tracking the email. Oh, my God, that's really true, cool. True. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, perfect. This is really elegant. I love this. <laughs> it feels like it would perfectly pair with like GraphQL because it has that nested kind of data structure. And if you were doing like client-side mutations to that nested structure, it would just automatically update, you know, whatever random parts of your app actually use that stuff. I, I have another question too. So have you seen the, the new version of the React Redux library that they, they created a hooks implementation? Yes. I think they have like a subscriber class or something like that. Did you see the implementation and how does it compare to yours? So yes. Be, mm-hmm. So speaking of React Redux, my original motiv- motivation of developing my library is to eliminate Redux, React Redux map states to props. Mm-hmm. Map state to props. Yes. Good. That needs to but, die. So yeah, hard. but... <laughs> But new React Redux hooks has a nice, nice one called use selector, mm-hmm. which which I like. So if it existed before, I wouldn't uh, made this my my library. But anyway, but still you have to use selector. So sometimes selector is difficult. So in the old one, we have map stated props. But I saw some beginner use map state to prop function to do much computation, more than it should be. And that problem still happened in the new one. So it, you could technically write computation-heavy logic in selector. Mm, right, and then you're not getting any of the benefit of the avoiding a render because you're doing all the computation just in the select. Yeah. Right. Whereas the use struct state approach, it only remembers some of the strings. So there is no, no downside of that. It feels like this, this is really useful for helping to onboard people to... Like learning React, uh, Re- Redux is very conceptually heavy. You have to learn a bunch of different concepts. You have to learn... Like, how do you actually write that? And now there's two different ways of doing that with hooks and with, without hooks. And like, where do I put this complexity? Because there's like 12 different places, 16 different files. Of, what am I supposed to do? The use tracked state thing, it's like you're getting a, all the same benefits, but you're losing all of the complexity, the, the kind of mental overhead, the decision-making that's kind of taking your time and attention away from focusing on actually building the thing that you're trying to build. <laughs> yeah. One question regarding uh, proxies and the uh, use uh, tracked. How do you deal with deeply nested? Like how, what, what do you do if you need to go like two, two steps deeper? Does it work as well as if it was like one, like if, what if it's like state.user.firstName? Right. 
how does the proxy let me pause <laughs> so my original code was somewhat proof of concept code and it only supports shallow proxy the shallow proxy means it will track only property usage of a root state object so like date dot first name state dot last name however if you think about the real scenario deep proxy will be required deep proxy means it can detect property uses deep in a state tree. And I learned there's a library for that, and it's called proxy equal. And there's actually a already similar activity before. And this library provides a basic API, and the integration to my proof of concept library was easy. And this deep proxy was implemented. And at that time, I'm not a big fan of benchmarking or optimization by myself. <laughs> But I was just curious, and I started benchmarking what I developed. Mm -hmm. And first result was more than disappointing. It was mm -hmm. far too slow, much slower than the original proof of concept code. So I didn't feel it was right, because proxy can be an overhead, but it shouldn't be, it just means something easy to notice as long as it's a simple case. So I did more investigation and discussion with the author of the, the proxy library. And long story short, we spent several months and we improved a lot. I used a benchmark tool from React Redux. And at some point, my implementation is mostly as fast as the official React Redux. However, there was one benchmark scenario in which my library doesn't perform well. I first thought it's a special case or edge case, and I don't have to care. But as I investigated more, it was not uh, an edge case. It's, it's a fundamental problem, which is uh, proxy-related overhead. Mm. I want to make it clear, it's not the overhead of proxy, it's, which is trivial. It's, it's the way how we use proxy and track the state usage. I mean, shallow proxy is easy, just, just easy. But if you want to make it deep, you have to be careful to implement it. And by that time, I had got a better understanding of how deep proxies should be implemented. So I started implementing my own version of deep proxy. And that's what, how, how, what you see, uh, the, the weak mod thing. And there's nothing new in the idea, but I carefully re-implemented it for performance by iterating benchmarks. And finally, I made something that I'm pretty confident. And this library is now called Reactive React Redux. Reactive React Redux. I love Reactive it. Reactive React Redux. <laughs> uh, the benchmark results showed a nice result. Basically, it's equivalent or slightly faster than React Redux. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. I, I, I love that style of development of developing to the benchmarks. Like the, that was like when I was on the React core team, like for those five minutes, that's what I was trying to push for is like every single commit should be benchmarked against the, the previous commit. Let's keep track of what the performance is. Uh, originally when the Safari browser got created, that's uh, how Apple and the whole WebKit team focused is like, they had a rule, we will never regress performance. It will 
So if somebody wanted to add a feature that made performance worse, they had to to go and make performance better somewhere else in order to get that commit commit in. Seems like a good way to do it. I mean, yeah. it seems like the performance is one of those things that you don't really notice until it's too late and you ha- then you have like this mountain of optimizations to do. Exactly. You got to catch it as you're going or you'll, you'll never be able to, to dig yourself out of it. So a lot of times we say like, don't optimize early or things like that. But we need to be careful with that because sometimes performance is a requirement. And if you're creating, yeah, if it, it's, it's, it's a requirement, like if you are creating a library that is supposed to be used in a lot of places, in large applications, I'm sorry, performance is one of the main requirements. If, it's an if existential it makes, feature. <laughs> that's it. So like if performance is a requirement, you need to think of performance earlier. And a lot of times performance can kill a library, if you're doing an algorithm, there's like, there's not like it's O N to the square, you know, like it, it, that's the moment you need to, to really think about the complexity of your, of your algorithms and, and how things work because you can't, you just can't degrade an application just by, just because people are using your, your uh, library. I think that idea of like, don't optimize too soon is, is a good one, but I think it's it's also easy to take that into like don't optimize ever. It's like oh we'll just do that someday. Like we don't yeah. need to do it now. And then you when know, is too soon. It either never comes or it's when your app you know takes ten yeah. seconds to load or whatever. It's when you leave the project. I think that's the time. Yeah. <laughs> the new guy's job. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, but I also think that it applies to exactly when it's not a requirement. Like when you're uh, creating an application, it's not a requirement that it's super fast. It's a requirement that the user is able to do what the user wants to do and wants to achieve, right? This is the what we need to do. Like performance is a tool to achieve that end. So performance is a problem when it stops the user from, from being able to, to do what the user wants to do or needs to do. It's really an accessibility issue. It's like mm-hmm. accessibility, internationalization, and performance, it, they're all kind of the same thing of can I use this thing or not? Like I have a cheap yeah. phone from five years ago. Can I use it or not? Like, I don't care why I can't use it. All I care is, can I use it? Yeah. And is it nice to use? Cause I think it's, it's easy to, you know, run the app on your, on your local dev MacBook that's super fast or whatever. And then right. yeah. you're slow on the phone. If it's scrolling at five frames per second, no, you can't yeah. use it. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and this is this is I, I don't know where I read that tweet. Like someone said, like buys like the latest like gaming laptop, opens right. Chrome, and like the first page drops frames. <laughs> like, yeah, welcome <laughs> to the web, guys. <laughs> it's it's crazy to think about, right? Like, so our applications are like really really heavy. They are like being they're. I don't know what. Yeah. I don't even know a, a good term to use. Janked. I don't know. I think Is it can it a be thing? a competitive advantage too. I think it's it's the sort of thing that people yeah. you don't What's really that? talk about if it's if it's like a little bit slow. You're like, nah, it's sort of annoying. But if it's fast, you know, you tell everyone. You know, it's it's like, oh, yeah, I love this mm-hmm. app. Like I use I use Fastmail for some of my email, and mm. it's it's great. It lives up to its name. <laughs> I think that's why WhatsApp crushed. Is like they supported every de- every device. Like yeah. they didn't care how, how crappy your device is, everything. And then now billions of people later, like they run the world or whatever. 
<laughs> oh my god don't even tell me in brazil whatsapp is like the basis of everything now <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah it's, so like it's the work the the kind of the thankless work that people like daishi are doing to to make things performant from the beginning from the absolute beginning benchmarking as you go to make sure that things are kept fast but not only fast as far as like performance and runtime but the entire idea of the project is to to make it fast to actually build things fast for humans to create things and if it's fast to build it's faster to maintain there's less code to read there's yeah. less onboarding it's like death by a thousand cuts of human performance as well as actually runtime performance yeah no, another thing i just thought about after he said that is I also don't know who said that like the best <laughs> design is like things that become like invisible to you. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, oh, it's this thing is is so well integrated to the environment that it becomes invisible. You don't even think about that. So like if you think about like a light switch, you know, it's already invisible in your life. And it's a piece of technology that solves a really good problem like i don't need to go there into the light and, and you know it's like this type of stuff so i think that maybe performance for a library is a little bit like that it's like you can use the library like performance and interfaces like redux is fast enough but like your application becomes almost like a redux application after you start so using much it right complexity yeah, yeah right. so it's not invisible at all it's not it's just like you you Very visible. <laughs> feel, you feel Redux. <laughs> you yeah, it's in like, your face. That's it. So it's interesting to, to, to think about libraries that are... That's why I think Immer is really good too. And that's why I think now Ustract State is really good. Their libraries are almost invisible. Yeah. That's it. Like, first of all, they're super performant, so they will not be our bottleneck. Second of all, the, the interface is like not only minimal, but it's also kind of playing with, with, with what we already do today. I think that what's interesting is why people have such an extreme reaction to things like this. Because on the one hand, you, you get all those advantages, you know, the, the minimal overhead of learning new things, and you can trust this library to, to handle all this stuff, and it compartmentalizes the complexity and all this stuff. But when this kind of thing goes bad is when you don't really look under the hood, when things are too magical, and you start to rely on the magic without really thinking through how it works, then what you're really doing is breeding uncertainty in your app and you start to get this, you're, you're essentially breeding anxiety in your app that's going to explode. It's like an anxiety time bomb of like, I don't know how any of this stuff works. Like there's some bug, there's like 27 magical things that I'm using, what's going on? Like I've seen that go bad and then we've all been burnt by this kind of thing. Like, when's the last time Apple had some kind of mysterious bug? It's all closed source. You know, what's going on on your weird iPhone? But I love that things like this are developed out in the open. It's all open source. And we're encouraged to look under the hood, like read the source code of React hooks. Read the source code of Reactive React Redux. <laughs> I, love, I love the name. And you can build that certainty for yourself so that when things go bad, and things will always go bad, you know what to trust and you know what to question. You know, okay, I know this couldn't have been a problem with reactive, Redu reactive React Redux because I know how it works. Like, uh, yeah, I could rant about that for an hour, but I'm going to spare you. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it does. It does make a lot of sense. Like we, we don't want to be surprised. I think the, the right. I, I don't want, I don't know what's the best way to deal with that. I got to do the work. <laughs> yeah. I think there is, there is also like, do not use a lot of dependencies because it's a lot of things to learn. Choose well your dependencies. Yeah. Document your choices. Document your negative choice. This is the thing that, right. that, that I'm into now. It's like everything I do, I'm trying to have like some documentations of what is not in this code. Right. Why are these obvious things not happening here? Because like right. I tried and how did they fail? So what is this library about? I mm-hmm. don't know. Like this is this knowledge sharing is something. Uh, I think that one, one really, the clean code t- type of thing, it was really good, but in and a lot of times, I think that the part of things should be self-documented. Things, this is a bad piece of knowledge that people took it to be extreme. Just an excuse for laziness. Ah, oh, it's self-documented. That's it. There I think go. that yeah, document knowledge sharing <laughs> and this type of this type of things. This is like the the, the most important work in, in a company. It's like there's no way, no no way you can. Solve anything and, complex for a long pe- for a long period of time without those things. And now that now that I know myself better, like for for most of my career, I've run away from that. And now that I understand why, it's like I was afraid of people poking holes in my logic. I was afraid of of the criticism. I was afraid that maybe I'm actually an idiot and I will be exposed to everybody as an imbecile if I tell them my thinking process. Instead of just like, nah, trust me, I got this. Like, look at how smart I am. Look at how great I am. Like, just trust me, I got it. Like, no, that is not how you build certainty. You build certainty by explaining. Like, this. here's what I considered. Here's the rationale. What do you think? Can you poke holes in this? If you can, then let's improve it together. It That's doesn't make me, make me a worthless loser if, you know, I'm not perfect on accident the first time. About... The magic thing of this use tract state I have some difficulties. So let's assume a developer who is so used to uh, React Redux. If they were to try this library, they would like to probably understand the magic inside or what's really happening which means you need to understand the library. Whereas if you, are, if you just want to use and you don't need to understand the magic inside, you can quickly use it. So what I found is that at some point, I realized my library, this reactive React Redux, does not attract people so much compared to my other library, which is non-Redux. I want to convince people that reactive React Redux, <laughs> <laughs> the, the hook used with track state is far different from the, the traditional React Redux. Hmm. But such people rather avoid using Redux. That, that's my assumption. So I created another library, which is called React Tract, which is essentially... It's a library that uh, react, reactive React Redux minus Redux. So there's no Redux. But only this, this proxy thing is included. So the hooks API of the, the new React truck 
is exactly same as reactive React Redux. So you can you can try both with with semi API. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, I like that you're giving people options and kind of meeting people where they're at. Yeah. So instead of like pushing people like, no, this is the one way that you should do it, you're like, well, people are different. They have different expectations. And you're just you're building things that work well for people where they're at right there. Like some people hate Redux, some people love Redux. Like you don't have to pick. Right. Nice. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Okay, so we go to picks now. So first of all, thank you very much, uh, yeah. Daishi. In this, in this, the end of the episode, we usually share some some links or some interesting ideas. Can be code based or not. So let me start with Thomas today. Thomas, do you have any picks today? Uh, yeah, I have two. Well, I guess three. First of all, I need to go and spend about six months reading everything Daishi's ever written because, like, <laughs> I like, barely scratched the surface of this stuff, and I like. Yeah, I need to know more about all this stuff and, and how I can actually use it. My other picks, um, I, I have one book, The Making of a Manager, What to Do When Everyone Looks to You by Julie Zhu. Zhao? I'm not sure how to pronounce her. Uh, she was the, uh, the kind of director of design at Facebook when I was there. I'm not sure nice. what she's doing now. And I have started doing some, my own kind of exploring the, the kind of nerd stuff around personality on my own YouTube channel that you should probably not go watch those because, yeah. <laughs> I discourage people from getting into that. But if you want to, okay. lots of cool info over there. Nice. So, Dave, do you have any picks today? Yeah, so I stumbled upon a thing yesterday called, um, so it's a talk, or it's a, it's a screencast, by Gary Bernhardt, or Bernard, I'm not sure how to say his name. He's the guy behind the that WAT talk, which you might have seen. Yeah. Um, so that's super funny. If you haven't seen it, you should go look up WAT. Yes. But, so he has this video, um, a compiler from scratch, where he starts with a blank file and builds up a little compiler that, that takes some code that looks a little bit like Ruby and turns it into JavaScript, going through the whole sequence of like tokenizing and tokenizing parsing and generating code. It's really cool. It's like half an hour. So that's awesome. And also found this thing called JS Verbal Expressions, which 11, at least 11,000 other people know about. It has a lot of stars on GitHub, but it's, it's like a JavaScript regular expression builder. So it kind of looks like the, the builder pattern where you start with an object and you chain a bunch of calls. And so you can, you can build up regular, regular expressions by saying, you know, create this thing like dot start of line, dot then some string, dot maybe some other string. 
Um, and it'll build your regular expression for you. So it looks pretty cool. Oh, nice. Check it out. Yeah, regex is super powerful and it is, it's very underused. Yeah. yeah, it's tricky to understand too. I think this, something like this would help. Nice, yeah. So usually my picks are all technical, but today uh, they're not because for the last, uh, last week, my knife went bad. Like a, like a knife for cutting stuff knife? Yes, yes. My knife oh. for cooking knife. I'm the one that, that does most, most of the cooking at home. And I remember like I went to, to a friend's house. He had a nice knife. And I was like, I think it's time. I think it's time for me to buy a nice <laughs> knife. So, of course, as a nerd, like I spent at least like four <laughs> or five days like looking yeah. everything about knives. It's such a crazy world. And then you have oh, like yeah. the German style knives and the Japanese style knives. Oh, ceramic. Yeah. Don't forget ceramic. Yes. And I was like looking at all Energy the blades. Hey, yeah, this kind of thing. So, and t- yeah. that's a whole other thing. Exactly. Okay. And then I bought like I bought a knife. And now I consider myself like I passed a level as... as <laughs> You're a knife nerd now. As a home cook, like I have a knife. Which knife did you get? <laughs> I, I got a shun. It's called oh, nice. shun or shun. Oh, I had the, the, the link here. Let me... Okay, we're coming to your house for sushi. <laughs> Only the, the, the knife is, is Japanese, but not the cook. I well. don't know how to do any Japanese, but I'm going to put th- this link here. So these knives are, are, are very, very cool. Like they are one of those factories like in the world that do like knives for like, I don't oh, know how, how long and it's really cool. So it's, it's, it's a really cool gift I gave to myself. those are always the best (laughs) it was it was cool it was the whole process i talked to my wife i was like let's let's talk about knife budget and she was like (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) it's already an interesting it's the last knife you'll ever need (laughs) so my picks for today are like non-tech so daishi do you have any picks yeah i have one which is mine my little project it's called Remote Faces. It's a tiny web app plus electron app. And what it does, it, and it shows webcam still images on your desktop and you share with your colleagues. The motivation behind it is that I, I work remotely, but some of the team is in the same, same time zone. And instead of having video conferencing all the time, you have this small icon on the desktop and you know who is sitting in front of the laptop and you can start chat or you can start video conferencing. Oh, cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's not known to many people, so I like to emphasize it. It's called Remote Faces. I'll send a link later. Wow, that's really cool. Dashi, you have some pretty cool stuff. Thank you. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. Like this there's is... just like a million things that you haven't told us about yet. I got you know, <laughs> all, all your GitHub. That's so nice. That's so nice. All right. So I think it wraps the episode. So thank you, everyone. And see you next week. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.